I, I began writing those before I wrote any music, and I, I think what drew what drew me to poetry as a little girl was the musicality of the words, was the ability for the words to have their own musical accompaniment to them, their own rhythm, a flow. It's almost like rapping. It's like hip-hop, I guess, in a way. But there is poetry in all of my songs, and I, I think that poetry is just a way of, like, inquiring into the world and, and looking at the world askew and never taking the surface for things for granted. And sometimes, you know, what comes from that viewpoint, I, I put a guitar to it, and sometimes I just let the words sing. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. My baby, you know I've been given a mighty hard road to roll. And this life I'm living, a dating's in a field of stone. Support me when I drink and me when I smoke and keep the jukebox paid to it. Book the road, now it's a hard way of living, but the living ain't killed me yet. Now it's a hard way of living, but the living ain't killed me yet. You already know what I'm gonna say. I'm out and getting into trouble again. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. The birds are chirping and summer is upon us and I'm ready for it all. This week is my birthday week and my gift to myself and you, my dear listeners, is this wonderful conversation with one of my favorite artists out there, Adia Victoria. She's a fixture in the roots music and Americana world, but originally hails from South Carolina and is a self-proclaimed mouth from the South. You're going to love her. Adia's new album is Southern Gothic, which she finished putting together in her home during the pandemic with the help of her partner Mason and remote guidance of roots music legend T-Bone Burnett, is hauntingly beautiful and a perfect invitation to a little self-perception. We talk about taking a hard look at the South through the lens of her music. She has a love affair with her native land, but confronts the truths that are brushed over when we look at the South through an antiquated lens. Adia explains how her music evolved out of her poetry. She discusses the process of writing music for her new album during the heavy days of the pandemic. That time spent in lockdown and isolation allowed her to dig into the symbols and the surface of the South. We discuss the age when a woman can lose her voice and no longer feel she has the right to claim her anger, and how to get that power back. She discusses how she reconciles different viewpoints. Her quote, paraphrasing widely, is, I can either be afraid and be hostile, or I can kind of accept and humanize where these people are coming from. She explains why she wants people to struggle with her art. That's the spirit of the blues. This conversation with Adia gives us, women specifically, permission to not have an answer about what we create or who we are or what it means to be a woman even. That we're allowed to change, that it's okay to inspire uncomfortable conversations that ultimately help us all become better human beings. So let's get into it with this week's guest, Adia Victoria. 
I love your record so, so much. Thank um, you so much. It's it's cinematic. It's, I mean, you're a poet. So I have so many questions for you when it comes to the delineation of how you determine what you want to make into a song, because you write a lot of really great prose, too. And I know that there's a lot more tools in the toolbox with music and how you can shade those words, but you have a lot of really great potential lyrics that you've shared with us just in your poetry. You know, it's interesting. I've been asked this question before and, and I'm still not entirely sure how to properly answer it. So I guess that means there is no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, with poems, I, I began writing those before I wrote any music. And I, I think what drew what drew me to poetry as a little girl was the musicality of the words, mm-hmm. was the ability for the words to have their own musical accompaniment to them, their own rhythm, um, flow. It's almost like rapping. It's like hip hop, I guess, in a way. But there's poetry in all of my songs. And I, I think that poetry is just a way of like inquiring into the world and and looking at the world askew and never taking the surface for things for granted. And sometimes, you know, what comes from that viewpoint, I I put a guitar to it. And sometimes I just let the words sing. People, artists are asked that question all the time. Like, what is your creative process? What is the origin of a song? And I think that the answer should be that every song has a different origin. And sometimes right. you conjure up a melody with no lyric, or you could have a poem that has been sitting around that also like gleans new meaning. As it mm. ages, you add some music to it, but it's just, you're very prolific and funny and candid. And that's why I understand why you have such a love affair with words. Um, I've been flapping my gums, talking shit. <laughs> what did you say? You're the, the mouth from the South? A mouth from the South. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Do you live in East Nashville as well? I did at one point. I don't. I, I live in North Nashville right now for the next month until I move with my fiance Mason to Ashland City. Ashland City is beautiful. It'll be nice to get out of our quickly changing city, I guess. I've seen enough. I've seen yeah. enough. I'm, I'm, you know, I was raised in South Carolina in um, upstate near the border of uh, North and South Carolina, about an hour south of, of Asheville. I like coming to cities. I like being in cities and like popping in and seeing what's new, but I don't really like living in them. Well, and I mean, Nashville, I have a love-hate relationship with just how quickly it's growing. I think they're forsaking a lot of the history that has been here. We're losing a lot of people who've lived here for a long time through gentrification. Mm. It's great to be in proximity to all these creative people, but I think it's kind of an interesting analogy to a Southern Gothic, which I feel like is so rich in its complexity for your relationship with the South. It's like you love it. It summons you home when you're far away, but there's also honesty that I think you have to have when you're examining it. And kind of that way with Nashville, I think we should be examining the rate that we're growing at and and at what cost. Maybe it's because I'm from South Carolina, born and raised. Like I don't I don't really consider Nashville to be the South, the South. It's like the sure. Midwest to me. The southern Midwest. But I'm not gonna get snobby on, on you about that. But <laughs> it's not snobby. I think that's a pretty good assessment. It's it's just not it's not how I grew up, but it's nice enough, I guess. But yeah, like a lot of the work on the Southern Gothic, uh, the writing, it was coming from a place of of desperation because uh, that most of the record was written 
um, in 2020 over the course of quarantine and the pandemic. And I knew I was like, I don't want to write any quarantine songs. I don't want to, it's like, I, I don't have perspective on that yet because I'm still going through it. And like every piece of art that I heard from like musicians about COVID and what was going on, I was like, this is the corniest shit I've ever heard in my life. Like, shut up. So I found myself going back and like interrogating the symbols and the surface of the South and like my, my upbringing in South Carolina and the Adventist church and what that was like for me. And, and really, you know, we were all stuck at home. You had no choice but to feed off of what you were within. And for me, it was like, I can either go insane from anxiety, like wishing and hoping for the day to come when I can go back on tour or whatever, or I can really dig in deep um, in this land and this dirt around me. And, and that's what I did with a uh, Southern Gothic. I just, I let the dirt speak. There's so many tones to it though. You have this ownership of it. Like you're owning your self-interest and your pursuit of pleasure. You're in full possession of your anger and your contempt for the South, mm. but you, know, you also, you claim it. And I think that you just really artfully, put this album together. And I know that you had T-Bone Burnett helping you, who's just, you know, such a fundamental figure in Roots music. But I didn't know until I read this East Nashvilleian article that like you and Mason in your quarantine bubble basically had to become super self-sufficient and learn how to play all of these instruments and put this together during a really tough time. And that's impressive. But was that tenuous? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's like, where you were talking about with, you know, anger and, and, and claiming it. And that's something that I've, I've, I've really been sitting with over the past two years is a lot of the, you know, as women, the ways that we are socialized to seek safety first and foremost. And safety usually means, and it's not even real safety, it's, it's conformity, but we believe that, you know, um, that's the only way to be safe is to be like everyone else, to not be so odious that you get kicked out of the tribe, right? Odious is a good word. <laughs> yeah. Like that girl, you stank. You got to leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to go. And so I feel like with girls, you know, the trajectory of our socialization, there's somewhere around the age of 10 where we stop believing ourselves. Like, and then we start actively gaslighting ourselves. Like, I don't know, Maggie, like, do you remember like around middle school when girls started shaving their legs and like you'd see like you'd see a girl that was like sad and crying right and you'd mm -hmm. like go up to her and be like what's wrong and she would just shake her head no and not say anything just no and I remember that one set of that happening of like she's no longer able to claim her anger or, or or her grief or any emotion that is not pretty and acceptable and like it was never like that in elementary school like girls were boisterous and loud and competing with boys and the middle school happened and they just started saying no like I'm fine and you know, in contrast to all outward appearances. And so I feel like with the South, over the course of making a Southern Gothic, I had to claim a lot of my anger and stop gaslighting myself and stop saying like, oh, it wasn't so bad. Or, oh, you know, growing up in South Carolina, like you were, you're privileged and da, da, da. It's like, yes, I, I was. And I acknowledge in a lot of ways, I, I did have certain privileges, but in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm still really fucking angry. Right. And I realized that the more that I tried to block that anger and... Um, you know, projected onto other people, the more that my artistic voice was dwindling. And so it just became, over the course of quarantine, of owning my anger, owning my rage, owning a lot of these things about the South, so I was better able to see it. You know, and, and then working with someone like T-Bone, like he's someone that has, you know, his bread and butter is is the South, from where, where Brother Art Thou to his, his work in the Roots world. Like he's just, 
he's from Texas, and so that's something that he and I bonded over. It's like, how do we speak authentically and clearly and fearlessly about the South, you know, and not have to rely on these dichotomies of good and evil, black and white, uh, you know, saved or sinner. It's like, how do we, how do we occupy the gray in the middle? You said it really well, this letter that you wrote, an open letter to Spotify that I read it. And I was just like, thank you for saying that. But one comment you made in conclusion was, I know that I can only speak to this because others who went before me had to fight for even my right to just say Spotify, do better. And right. so it's like you speaking now, you don't know what that will benefit people who come after you artists who come after you who feel like they need to just go along to get along and keep their head right. down and there's beauty in that anger and there's art and there's this lack of congruity that i feel like we should start expecting of artists mm. instead of having just kind of overly manicured everything i think it also landed this album at a time that i optimistically would like to say was the best time for people to hear what you have to say on a Southern Gothic. With the pandemic, I saw this tweet. It was, uh, I think it was like late 2020. It was this young sister and she basically tweeted, like to paraphrase, she was like, everything that they told us was important. It turns out it was fake. Like time is fake. Money is fake. Status is fake. Like power is not fake, but the ways that we understand it, the ways that we want to wield it um, in order to achieve certain ends is fake. It's And that's that was the reckoning for me with, with COVID. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about like George Floyd happening and yada, yada. It's like, that was nothing new for me. Like I, I'm almost ashamed to say, like, I wasn't surprised. I, I didn't watch the video because I, I refused to watch those videos, but it's like, this is America. Like, what am I? And I feel like, you know, in our, in our country, we're kind of in like a large enmeshed uh, narcissistic family. You know, we're one child's the scapegoat and another child is the golden child. <laughs> and, but basically everything is done to make sure that those who are uh, accountable and responsible for sowing this chaos, they they never have to reckon with it because we're so busy, you know, hiding from each other and blaming each other. And I feel like for me, I really don't have anything to lose, you know. And I and that was that was the spirit that I had when I signed my record deal with Atlantic in 2015. It's like, um, Adia, you grew up poor, you grew up with nothing, and it didn't kill you, and you cannot start dying now in order to achieve more status, in order to accumulate more respectability. It's like you have to be at any point when, you're, when your spirit tells you so to walk away. And I think that, you know, COVID forced a lot of people to walk away from comfort and, and the ways that we saw the world and our perception of things and our ignorances. And you either struggle with that greatly or you adapted. You know, there's mm -hmm. two types of people. You either demand or you adapt. Are you optimistic about the South changing and just the direction that things are going in, like with all these things that brought the discontent that influenced your songs. I can't really answer that. Um, the only thing I can say is that I'm changing and that's all we can do. It's like, I think we, we've become mightily distorted in our worldview and our place and things. We, we wait for exterior circumstances to change before getting on board. Like we need that 
you know, validation, like, oh, okay, this is really happening now. And it's like, well, what's happening within you? Are you changing? Are you growing? Are you adapting? Are you uh, maturing in how you understand the ways that you think? And you are you thinking about your thinking? And so I'm, you know, moving to Ashland City in, in Cheatham County in Tennessee. It's like, there's, I have neighbors that have crazy Trump flags and Confederate flags. And, you know, I can either be afraid and like be hostile, or I can kind of accept and humanize where these people are and, and, and know that in a certain way, I've, I felt the heart of what they're feeling. It just manifests itself differently. And like, I'm not going to fly a Confederate flag, but I'm not going to wait on them to, to, to rip down their Confederate flags in order for me to feel free and unafraid. I can't live on their timeline like that. I mean, I'll probably get shot. (laughs) I I don't want that to happen. (laughs) Hey guys, it's Maggie. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Adia. Is she not just so wise. I love speaking with her. I feel uh, like she makes me smarter and more aware just not only of what can happen musically, but just in life and where we all belong within it. I am very excited to say I just stepped out of the studio because I'm in the process of recording my next record, which I'm so excited to start sharing with you. But a lot of people are saying like, hey, you just put have a seat out. But for me, Those songs had been in my head for a while, and I had to wait throughout most of the pandemic to finally share them with y'all. But one thing I've learned about myself is that I really love to be pushed, and I surround myself with people who love me, so they push me. And I feel a little bit of that energy from Adia. I think that's what she's doing with her music. She's pushing us all to be our best selves and to be introspective and self-aware and ask those uncomfortable questions, but enjoy the beauty in that discomfort because this music that she's presenting us is stunningly beautiful. But who in your life is pushing you to be the best version of yourself? Love you guys. I'm gonna go back in the studio now. The thing that I try and do is I try and I, I notice the things about other people that piss me off the most or, or terrify me the most or things about myself that I have yet to own. So like if I see Bubba flying a Confederate flag, like obviously I'm, like I said, I'm not going to do that, but I understand the, the seed, you know, that's the the root of that behavior. I, I understand what it feels like to, to feel insecure or left behind or, um, uh, have a superiority complex and to feel like you're losing a competition with people that don't even know who you are. And, right. you know, I know what it's like to feel so highly defended. So it's, it's easier for me to talk to Bubba in Cheatham County than it is for me to talk to Becca in East Nashville, because Becca in East Nashville, she, she doesn't want to face her own darkness. And so right. if I see you flying a Trump flag, it's like, cool, I know exactly where you stand. I know what this is and I can relate to it. And on a, on a human level, yeah, I can relate to this. And you may not want me to, but if you choose to engage with me, then we're going to be two humans together. And it's going to be really uncomfortable. Right. At least they're exposing all of it, literally waving a flag. 
Yes, yes. They're they're not being secretive about it, but yes, it's hard to even tolerate that ignorance too. In a certain way, you could actually look at it like it's understandable because you know maybe their forefathers who came to America, they got to experience whiteness in a completely different way than you know current twenty twenty two white dude in Cheatham County does. Like their ancestors have more privileges. They whiteness that check went a little bit further. So it's like yeah, I, I can't say that if. If I were in their shoes, that I wouldn't be flying a Confederate flag too. I probably would. You know, if you had that instant balm to soothe your ego when you felt threatened and you just fly a Confederate flag, it's like, yeah, that sounds like it can come in handy <laughs> psychologically. Like, what are the institutions that you feel you question from your childhood that you as an adult have been able to separate yourself from or analyze in a way that you can say, I'm not really applying that to my life, even though I was brought up in that context or influenced by whatever, even if it wasn't intentional. Like, how are you able to find that self-awareness? I think it's the institution of womanhood that has been the hardest for me to, um, to reckon with because they make that oppression for, for us so seductive, right? It's like, you know, you can see things like someone having like their nails done and like they're wearing like their Fenty lingerie, da, 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 and like they're Gucci and stuff. And it's like one way you could look at it, it's like, yes, pleasure. Like, you know, that's great. But also it's like at the end of the day, you're still lining some, some asshole dude's pockets. And obviously this is, there's something about you that you believe to be wrong that these things can address. And, it, and I'm not trying to shame, you know, people for enjoying pleasure and luxury, like by all means, but personally myself, I've had to get to the point where I, I question what I feel being a woman means or what, what I owe the world and, you know, my position in the world and prox approximation to power. And it's so ingrained, you know, it goes back to the girls shaking their heads. No, at the same time, they started shaving their legs because we are systematically and seductively dismembered, um, in our adolescence. Mm. But I, I feel like the thing for me that makes it easier is in my journal, I ask myself, like, what do my fears look like? Like I start really engaging my fears because for so many people, fear is just like an automatic response. It's an automatic behavior that you just tap into. And without realizing it, that fear, and, and it defines you. Like that's where so much of my personality comes from. Like, I'm afraid of this. I don't do this. Right. I don't go there. I don't act this way. And like that, your fear becomes you. And so I think that by engaging with it, challenging it, like questioning it, like asking your fear, like who gave you the right that allows me to then, it gives me the space that I need to listen to my inner voice, to listen to my own subjective experience. Like, where would you be if you never bought a Venus razor or you never bought a weave or, you know, it, it, it's, it's getting down to that point for, for me yeah. <laughs> of ego death. <laughs> right. What is your answer to that right now? What do you think being a woman in this world Looks like. For one thing, I stopped wearing brawls somewhere around <laughs> April 2020, you know. <laughs> the, the answer for me is to relieve myself of the burden of having to have the answer. The answer for go. me is more questions. Yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. you know, thinking about things like push-up brawls and like Victoria's Secret and like you said, like heels. It's like these are actually very masculine constructs. Like oh, these totally. are not things that any woman, you know, comes into this world thinking like, from evolution, like, you know what? My back needs to be arched and I need to put all my weight on the, the balls of my feet, you know? And be slower and, than... And be slower and actually more... Vulnerable. Uh, more uh, vulnerable to, <laughs> to predators. 
Yeah, I mean, we have to. It's like we, we're still in the same system. Like the room's been updated, but it's still the room. And then you have to like start interrogating your own like internalized uh, misogynist. I know I have one. I mean, mm-hmm. I have an internalized like racist as well. It's like our parents put us in this world to survive and, and children are very quick. Children are very adept at, at, at assessing the situation honestly, like no bullshit. It's like, okay, I, if I need to act this way to, in order to have safety, then I will. And so I think it's a point where it's like, we need to stop being surprised. We need to stop being like precocious, precious Patty when something, when George Floyd gets his neck kneeled on, it's like, of course this would happen. And of course I feel this way because this system is powerful. It's, it's seductive and it's, it's um, successful at breeding this kind of human. Yeah. I saw your, um, your post when, you know, the Opry had Morgan Wallen on and, I played the Opry so many times and mm. I've, I was Good just kind of, well, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be invited and, you know, I definitely think it feels like a family when I go there, but you, you better <laughs> yeah. behave if you're in the family, you know? That's right. That's right. There's a, there's a tone of that, but I saw what you said and I like just sat with it because what, what Adia said was, you know, Come on, let's not be so shocked that overnight this institution that's been around for a really long time mm-hmm. has uh, all of a sudden completely modernized. And like, I'm very heartened that Alison Russell's on that stage and that Amethyst Key is playing the Opry. And like, I know people that are doing the work to make sure that it's showing what Nashville has to offer. I saw you kind of talking with a lot of our peers about like, Hey, people are allowed to be angry. And you're just like, no, we just got to like keep moving forward and not acting like this is just going to totally devastate us right now and stop us in our tracks. And it was, it was just a very nuanced take on it. And I, I learned a lot from it and I just had to think about my own thoughts on it just based on what you said. And it was more painful that you were, um, not surprised. And it kind of made me feel at that moment, just like really, oh, I've been super lucky to not have to be inconvenienced by that truth until this moment. Whenever that happens, there all, there's always this tide of like, you know, quote unquote, forward leaning progressive white uh, artists in Nashville who immediately, their first defense is that's not who we are. That's not who we are. And it's like, it's not, then who is it? You know, it's yeah. like, own this, sit with the discomfort, stop trying to like cut it off and eject it from yourself and like Mm -hmm. disown it and project it somewhere else. It's like, no, this is Nashville. Like this is America. Like, you know, um, Childish Gambino said, like, this is America. And, you know, I don't have the, the, the privilege or the time or the patience or the desire to harbor false solutions and have my heart broken each time America does what America's going to do. And so I'm not trying to deny people their anger. I'm not trying to deny people their pain and their rage. I believe that that is justified. What I'm trying to say is don't suffer needlessly. Know where you're going. There was this great interview with DMX where he was like, people think I'm untrustworthy, but I, I'm, I'm actually very trustworthy. Like I trust a snake to be a snake. I trust, you know, when I walk across your path, you're going to try and bite me. The struggle is know a snake when you see one. Right. Don't ask a snake, you know, to be a lamb. Don't ask a tiger to be a lamb. It's like, I'm through with the point of like trying to coach white people about this shit. And I'm, I'm through with the point of trying to, you know, give white people the benefit of the doubt. 
it, it comes down to this. Would you want to be black in America? And every white person I've asked, they've said no. And it's like, okay, so you know there's a problem, but you're denying it, just like we do in, like, dysfunctional, abusive families. We just shut up about it, but everybody knows what Uncle Bubba's doing, you know, at night. to talk about your music and how you got into Junior Kimbrough and Earl Burnside and like all of these blues heroes. So I got into like the Black Keys and the White Stripes in my early 20s and I was listening to the Black Keys one day and I, I thought Dan Auerbach was black. Okay. <laughs> that's probably the greatest compliment anyone could ever give that man. Well that's that Mississippi sound. I mean. <laughs> yeah. But then when I, once I started digging a little deeper I was like my hell up there ain't no way that this white man, this white Jewish man from Akron, Ohio, like who's he listening to? And so I started as an investigator of just like influences. And, you know, and as soon as I dug a little bit deeper, I found waiting for me, Skip James, Junior Kimbrough, Arl Burnside, like folks that like everyone from Jack White to Led Zeppelin to the Beatles to the Black Keys, they've been able to like Jack and appropriate the style and the swag of like Black Southern culture and make money off of it in ways that we were never able to. And so the blues for me, like listening to these artists and these women like Bessie Smith and Victoria Spivey, they gave me back myself, you know, at 22. When I first started playing guitar, I was living in Atlanta, high school dropout. I was a telemarketer. I had no idea what I, what I was, but I knew what I was running from. And I was running from the church and respectability politics and white supremacy and, and sexism and just like Southern uh, closed-mindedness. And the blues gave me back my mind and the blues gave me back my heart. And they allowed me to expand in my my humanity and say that like, there's parts of me that the patriarchy doesn't enjoy, but that's still me. And there's parts of me that like white supremacists say that are, you know, heathen and dirty, but this is still me and it's still mine. So mm -hmm. the blues said to me, little girl, like your life is yours, live it, it's yours. It's just unusual that you as a young person were kind of hip to the to the pioneers of the blues sound when I feel like we kind of had to look for it where I grew up in Maryland. It wasn't the, it wasn't common knowledge. I mean, it was the same with me in, in, in Georgia. Like it wasn't common knowledge. Like I had to go through the whitewashing. I had to go through the appropriation to find the source. And it's like, but isn't that the story of America, right? It's like, I know it's the story of the South, you know, the way that we, we love the South, the agriculture, the history, the genteel nature of it, you know, da 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 da. It's like who built who built the South? Like who's whose brilliance and whose sweat and equity and labor and blood and sweat and tears went into constructing America? It's like it was Africans. It was stolen people. But we don't acknowledge that because it's 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 too um conflicted and, and triggering. Just the history of country music is something that people are so ignorant to. Like talking mm -hmm. to Allie Russell about that and you know, Amethyst with our native daughters and just that whole mission and everything. 
you know, people talking about Mickey Guyton not belonging country music. It's just, it's total ignorance. You can't claim ignorance if you actually do know, yet you keep saying that this is the way it is and co-opting it. Yeah, I, I don't even really want to call it ignorance. I think it's, I think that's too... Yeah, it's feigned. Generous. Yeah, yeah, it's feigned. It's, it's, it's denial. It's just willful denial. And it's the, the, the terror, I think, that a lot of white people have in America of of acknowledging their dependence, acknowledging the fact that they didn't just arrive here to a blank slate, you know, with Christopher Columbus on down to the present moment. It's like, no, you have, you have actively and pathologically been dependent upon people of color to save your ass again, again, and give you your culture again and again, and, you know, make you white, you know, and I think that it's not ignorance. And even if you don't know the names of these people, you know, deep down that, Something was happening in this in in the South that these white musicians were able to draw upon. And you know, if you have any sort of curiosity about where you are when you live in the South, it's like you are you're not going to have to go too far before you run, you know, headfirst into a black person who was the originator of of what white people have been able to claim and uh, monetize. Well, this album, a Southern Gothic, it's so cinematically, hauntingly beautiful. I think it's a great invitation for anyone who might need that catalyst to, you know, get get in front of that mirror a little bit. Mm-hmm. And people who love the South, I think, especially people who love the South, um, and I think the more antiquated idea of the South should confront this album, and it, it's. It also has like a little bit of a, I saw someone write like a menace, which I loved that word because it's like that haunting thing that just lingers with you. You wake up in the morning the next day and that's the one that's like kind of in your head just mm-hmm. on a loop. But I feel like that's by design, right? You want this to be something that disrupts and lingers and just kind of gets its fissures into your your soul. You know, I thought about the Gothic and I thought about what that represents as a literary genre. And the Gothic is, you know, it's a genre that concerns itself with the uncanny, with the return of the suppressed, um, the things that we try hardest, you know, like we said, with women's anger of, of mm-hmm. shutting down, it, it explodes out at you. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the Southern Gothic um, literature, if you would name, if you would say Southern Gothic, people would think of William Faulkner or Eudora Welty and, um, Flannery O'Connor and, and rightfully so. And these were these were white folks who were brave enough to to scratch the surface of whiteness and say, something is terrifying us and we're not saying what it is. So I'm going to use my art as a way to investigate what is terrifying me and why I'm terrified by it. But then I also thought about, you know, a young black girl. I, I thought about my own upbringing in South Carolina and the things that terrified me were the things that have been sanctioned by whiteness, like white Jesus and and being a good girl and, you know, never questioning men and, and accepting that I, because I was black, I was, you know, in a certain place. And so I have my own ghost. And so it's a question of when we say Southerner, who are we talking about? When we say, you know, American experience, who are we talking about? And if we can only conjure up one race of people, you're missing half of the story. And so a Southern Gothic for me was a way to complete the story of my own Southern experience and hopefully 
make the story make more sense to anyone that listens that, to that record. podcast i can't believe i haven't mentioned that yet call and response i think it's such a great format um you asked a really good question of julian baker in the Mm -hmm. episode that you had her on and i wanted to ask you it you said what song is bringing you light in life okay i'm not trying to pander but i adore your song um saint thank you yeah that makes me really happy Girl, I've needed that. Uh, that song has just been like the soundtrack to giving myself grace and letting myself off the hook for a lot of bullshit and expectations that men put onto me and how a woman's supposed to be. Like, you're supposed to want to do right all the time. You're supposed to be like always emotionally available to clean up my messes and like hold me, mother. And you know, hearing you talk, you know, talk about I don't want to do that. And it's not to say like women that do that offer that to men are bad, but it's like, I, me, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live with that weight. And that doesn't, that's not a sin. That's just me owning fiercely my human experience. Thank you. I love that it speaks to you. I feel like a lot of what you were saying just about your quest in making this record and owning all these emotions that go into it is a similar feeling that I have about that song. And I grew up Catholic kindergarten through Mm. senior year. Good Lord. Bless Two them. sisters. Uh, they're both attorneys and I love them. They're so supportive. But like, I feel like I had a second birth of sorts. Mm. I think in the last 14 years that I've been in Nashville, there's a lot of shedding and reexamining and just recalibrating and you know, self-doubt. And that song's sort of my my answer to having arrived, at least to this point. We've got a lot left to go, but... I'm glad you like that. That makes me happy. How do you, do you enjoy putting that podcast together? You know, I do. I, I, I feel like that podcast working with my production team over the course of the pandemic has saved me. It, I think it's kept me from going into a, a very weird, like reclusive mm-hmm. state, which is like my natural state of just like, oh God. <laughs> so like talking to people about the blues, like the blues for me has always meant community and, and a lifeline. And so I wanted to ask Blue's questions to the artists and the the writers and the thinkers and the scholars that I, I have on the show of how does art allow you to confront where you're from? And a lot of the people on my podcast are from the South. So right. we're really able to investigate and dig in like why we believe what we believe. It's, it's thinking about thinking, thinking outside of the box that we're put in. Um, and I don't know, I just, I, I felt like that show was, it was a, a lifesaver for me. And I hope that um, my audience enjoyed it. I definitely did. I really did. And I I think your guests enjoyed it as well. I mean, it sounded like, especially with 
that episode talking about confronting where you're from, Julian had such a crazy story about mm-hmm. like her own journey and identity. And I think uh, you, it was really cool to just hear two artists talking. That's why I really love this format. It makes me feel connected mm-hmm. to the people who are the reason that I'm in Nashville. Like I want to be near you. I want to be near people who are exciting me and inspiring me. The wind is howling round and round and please come down. I've been watching, waiting. Please come down. All the stars are fading. You and I are probably just, we're at that conclusion where all these things can keep moving and changing around us, but we're going to keep making music. I mean, you've been with Atlantic, you're with Canvas Back. Like, there's so many different iterations of what label or team I've had around me at any given time, but you just have to commit to the vocation aspect of doing what you want to do, right? Regardless Mm -hmm. of just the inequity or the lack of representation. And I mean, I've had a challenge, I'm holding air quotes, with just identifying what it is that you call my music. And I feel like there's Mm -hmm. been speculation around your music as well. Like, what is it? And I try to not get bogged down in that. Does that in any way ever tug at you a little bit? Just this, like that kind of, not criticism, but just analysis of you and your art? No, you know, people have never been able to see me clearly. People have been, you know, mispronouncing my name. And yeah. so I've always been a a, um, a question mark for people. But I encourage people to ask questions. And it's like, I respect my listeners enough where I don't have to, I don't have to hold your hands through this lyric. I don't have to, I don't have to tailor write my song so that you, oh, immediately are like, yes, I've been there. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, no, um, I'm going to lean more in on the, the, the gray side of things, the blurry side of things. And I'm going to allow you for a lot of people, the privilege of seeing yourself in a black Southern woman and a a person that you've been told by society isn't really been human. And I'm not going to make my art. I'm not going to make my art super digestible for you because life isn't super digestible. There's still shit that I'm chewing on from my childhood and, and that should be reflected in our art. I think that we've been given too much soft shit. You know, our, our teeth have gotten worn down. We've been eating, we've been, we've been eating musical Gerber for far too long. And so I want people to struggle. I want people to wrestle with my art and, that's the spirit of the blues. And I don't feel the need, you know, any longer to justify myself. I just, you know, most of the time what people have to say about me says more about them than it does about me. I'm going to just carry this attitude from this conversation walking forward in my life. It's like, I don't need to have an answer about what music, what it means to be a woman, what it like, I feel that I should be able to contradict myself at any given time. Now that's not to say values and identity I think are different but like we should be allowed to change and uh not have to be so didactic about it Mm -hmm. everybody's changing even the folks that are about tradition and conservatism they're breaking their minds trying not to change and it's like you know it's like being in a river I remember at the beginning of the pandemic I was talking to my my therapist told her I was like I feel like I'm I'm 
I'm constantly having to swim. You know, if I don't swim, I'm going to sink or swim, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, why do you think those are your only two options? Like, why don't you just float? And I was like, I never thought about that. And so much of my identity has been around like struggle. And like, if I get something and I'm not struggling, like, do I really deserve it? Do I really have it? Like, I got to bleed for this. And it's like, no, you don't. Like, that's capitalism in your head. And it's like, I'm at this point, I'm not trying to say like, I'm just like lackadaisal about things or like a nihilist, but there's just so much shit out there that is not my business. You know, I'm trying to limit it, limit the time that I spend on social media. Cause like, I don't need these people's thoughts in my head. Like I just don't. And so I'm trying to use my own eyeballs to look out at the world instead of putting someone else's eyeballs in my head to see myself through. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the amazingly eloquent Adia Victoria. Make sure to give her a follow on her socials at Adia Victoria. That's A-D-I-A. And make sure to give her new album, The Southern Gothic, a listen. You will not regret it. And to keep up with me on my socials, you can follow me at I am Maggie Rose and check out my tour schedule at MaggieRoseMusic.com. And if you want to get exclusive Salute the Songbird content, become a part of my With the Band family. We are all over the place this summer. We have a lot of exciting dates coming up, so we hope to see you guys back on the road. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose, produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, and Kirsten Kluthi production assistance from Grace Romer and Kip Young. Edited by Matt Dwyer. Music by Maggie Rose. Graphics by Mark Dow. Now to close out this episode, here is Magnolia Blues from the Southern Gothic idea of the
Osiris. <laughs> <laughs>